All right. In 2017, Teresa and I, through a lot of prayer, and actually it was a very hard decision, decided to leave our family and friends in a thriving ministry and go to San Diego to launch a campus of a new church in the area. I know it sounds like a hard calling to go to San Diego. So we packed up, we moved down there, and we lived in a town called Chula Vista, which is right near the border of Mexico. And every day uh, I would drive to work, I would see Tijuana on the hill, because it's a very hilly area. San Diego's not like LA, it's not flat, it's very hilly. And so you could see Tijuana, just right there. And, and I remember Teresa and I talking, saying, we should go to Mexico, let's go. And we kept talking about going, and we reached out to a Spanish-speaking pastor. We had a Spanish uh, service at our campus, and he grew up there, and he said, do not go without me. So we would go to the Border State Park. It's the most southernmost park in the state park system. It goes right up against the border wall in Mexico. So it's the beach there, and we would walk, and we would go to the border wall. And if you've ever been down there, there's actually two walls. There's one right on the border, and there's another one that's almost like two lanes of traffic in. And both of those walls keep people from going back and forth. On Sundays, the State Park Service actually opens the American side wall so you can go right up and talk to people on the other side. And there's a park in Mexico, in Tijuana, called the Freedom Park. And one time, Teresa and I went there and we, we went through the gate to the other wall and there was a man standing there and we began talking to him. He was sharing with us that he used to live in America, in San Diego, but he had moved back to Mexico to be with his family. And he came here and sometimes he would talk to his family. Sometimes he would talk to people from around the world. So as we were talking, we learned that there was also a church service that took place every Sunday morning at the same time as mine, so I couldn't go, but a church service where people from America and a people from Mexico would gather on both sides of a wall and they would sing the same songs to the Lord and they would uh, hear the same message and they would fellowship through the wall. And that's powerful. I'll never forget thinking as I was leaving there, it's too bad there's a wall here. Like, what's the purpose of the wall? Now, I'm not being political here, okay? I'm just saying a point about fellowshipping together. Uh, but there's a wall there for a reason. When I was in San Diego, we had problems like any other city. San Diego, in 2019, when we left, had 50 murders, which is a lot. Uh, Chula Vista, a city of about 275,000, a suburb had three murders. I think all told, we might have had 65, 70 murders in that greater San Diego area. On the other side of that wall, there was over 2,500 murders in that same year. Uh, the reason is there's cartels, there's drug trafficking, there's human, human trafficking, and there's people from all kinds of countries in Latin America that suffer because of rampant corruption, crime, and evil, and that's one of the reasons they, they try to come here, and you could understand, if you live in a place that's that violent and dangerous, you would want to leave too. It brings the point home when you think about 
the fact that whatever's going on, every once in a while we're touched with, with something that's pretty evil, uh, but often we just go through our lives and unless we're watching the news, maybe it doesn't affect us that much. I was talking to a, a guy who told me he was illegal a couple weeks ago and he was telling me that he had had to pay, he had to pay a cartel to get into America thousands of dollars. And he said now it costs $12,000 to pay somebody to get them into America. People are being exploited, they're being hurt, they're being killed, and the only word that can describe that is evil. And we've all been touched by evil in one way or another. Uh, we've been touched by evil maybe because someone robbed us, someone hurt us, uh, there was something that happened in a dysfunctional family that impacted us. Disease gets us. Evil is all around us. And that's what we're gonna be talking about this morning. I was so excited to get this topic because it's so simple and fun to talk about. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin Nealon's a comedian. He said that there's this phrase that when you hear it, whatever comes next is bad. Hear me out, hear me out. We're gonna hang you by your ankles, hear me out. We're gonna douse you with gasoline. Will you hear me out, right? Uh, I think talking about evil can kind of feel that way. Hear me out, we're gonna talk about evil. You're gonna like it, hear me out, hear me out. This is one of those topics that sometimes might be better to have over coffee. And I would like to throw this out if you would like to have coffee and talk about this more because usually it raises a lot of questions. I, I know Jamie, Jared, Emily, Pastor Chris, all of us would be happy to sit down and talk to you about it because evil impacts us so deeply sometimes it's hard to get through it. Uh, I'm gonna talk about a very wise person that discussed evil, but you need to know this, evil is something that people have thought about, come up with theories, tried to explain why and what it is for thousands of years. But several thousand years ago, the wisest man in history named Solomon, King Solomon, he was known uh, for being wise. People would come all from all over the world to hear him share his wise sayings. He wrote a book of the Bible called Proverbs, Read it, it's got great principles. Uh, he also wrote Song of Solomon, Married Couples, you may wanna read that. And then there's a book he wrote called Ecclesiastes. Now Ecclesiastes is kind of a tricky book, so I'm gonna explain it before I read a passage from it. It's a book that if you read it face value, sometimes it doesn't make sense. You ever gone to uh, get an eye check, and if you haven't, you'll get this someday. So you're looking at a bunch of letters, and they'll put a lens in front of your eye, and they'll say A or B. A or B, and you go A, B. So one's blurry, one's clear. One's blurry, one's clear. And the goal is to get you a prescription that you can see everything clearly. But some of those lenses make things blurry. In the book of Ecclesiastes, you're gonna hear a phrase every once in a while, and the phrase is under the sun. When he puts that in, it's like a lens that's gonna make things a little blurry because he's trying to explain something that's impossible for us to understand. So let's go ahead and dive into Ecclesiastes 8, 9, and 10. Solomon says this, I've thought deeply about all that goes on here under the sun. In other words, I have spent a lot of time on this. This isn't something I thought about quickly. I have spent years thinking about this, where people have the power to hurt each other. I have seen wicked people buried with honor. 
And yet they were the very ones who frequented the temple. They were hypocrites and are now praised in the same city where they committed their crimes. This too is meaningless. There is something about evil that doesn't make sense. And the more you try and make sense of it, the harder it is. And so whatever explanation I give you this morning, we will always have some sort of questions. Theologians still disagree about evil at some level, but it is important for us to understand it, and there is a biblical perspective on evil that I want to help you with today. So let me just break it down. There's a couple types of evil you need to know about. We're going to go to school here. Bear with me. Number one, natural evil. Natural evil is what we see in the world through disasters, like what happened in Morocco. 2,000 people died. The last couple of days there was a earthquakes there. It's horrific. Uh, tsunamis, disease, those, those are what we call natural evil. There's something about when those things happen inside of us, we go, this should not be. I mean, it breaks our heart. That's why we have compassion, or we, excuse me, convoy of hope. That's why we, we support them, because they are out there giving people comfort in the midst of natural evil, disasters that are going on. But that's outside of us. The second kind of evil is inside, and that's what we call moral evil, where we do things that are not the highest and best. We make decisions, we say things, we take actions that bring hurt to others or ourselves. So let's go ahead and pull out your notes this morning in your bulletins, or if you're following us online, you can download those notes and follow along. The first thing I want to say about the existence of evil, number one, is it is an obstacle to my belief in God, but it's not an impassable barrier, right? It's an obstacle because it is hard to fathom how a good God could allow evil to exist. It's definitely a barrier. It's the number one reason why people say they don't believe in a God. But you need to know every religion in the world has to account for evil somehow. Even atheism has to account for evil. And we'll talk about that in a moment, but I grew up as a Hindu. I don't know if you guys knew that, but I grew up in Hinduism. And Hindus believe in karma, they believe that uh, you are reincarnated. So over eons and millions of years, you're reincarnated over and over again. And, and here's how evil works. If you do something evil in this life, in a future life, something bad happens to you. Which also means if good things are happening to you in this life, that means you did something good in a previous life. All right? So when I was young, I asked somebody, um, I saw a boy in a wheelchair and it broke my heart and I said, why is that boy in a wheelchair? And the answer was, he must have done something wrong in a previous life. And if you think about that, it, it, it probably should make you shudder a little and, because you're judging someone as if they're bad when if it's wrong, they haven't done anything wrong. They're suffering natural evil. And you could say the same thing about babies who are born with disease. And that's one of the reasons why in India they have a caste system and it's not unusual for people to walk over somebody who is dying because they're getting what they deserve from a previous life. And if you do something kind for somebody, it's really for your own benefit because it's gonna help you in the future. I don't think that's the best, I'm not trying to belittle them, it's, it's a well thought out system of evil, but 
I think the, the Bible has a much better explanation. There's two kinds of things we need to think about when we're thinking about evil. One is the intellectual side, and we'll spend a little time on that, but we're not gonna stay there the whole time but we're also gonna talk about the experiential side. That's the thing that makes us hard sometimes to think intellectually. You know how when you're in an argument you get mad and it's hard to rationally think? You ever have that happen or you're really sad, it's hard to rationally think? That's true with evil sometimes. So let's try and decouple our experience with evil and just kind of be intellectual about it for a moment. Here is the number one proof more than half the people that say they don't believe in God, this is what they use. The proof is if God is all good, he would not allow evil. Secondly, if God is all-powerful, he would do something about evil if, he, if it happened. A God, by definition, must be all-good and all-powerful. There is evil, therefore there's no God. That's the proof. And you'll hear atheists talk about that and throw that out there. And uh, that's, that makes some assumptions which we're going to get into in a minute. But I want you guys to see what the Bible has to say about God. Uh, let's go ahead and put on the screen Psalm 107. It says in Psalm 107, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Now, I like good. Good is good, right? When your kids are good, aren't you happy? Don't you thank your kids when they clean their room without you asking them if that's ever happened? I don't know, but if it has, you say to your child, good job, you did your room without being asked or if they eat their vegetables. Good job, you ate your vegetables, you get dessert now, right? You praise good, we like good. God's good is not because he cleaned his room. It has nothing to do with, with what we would consider good. God's goodness is a part of his nature. He is good because that's who he, he is. He can't help but be morally perfect. So everything that comes into God's mind is good and every action he ever takes is good. He can't do otherwise. And let me give you a little example, a little illustration. Let's say you guys go to a restaurant somewhere and I guarantee you, you're gonna agree with me. You go to a restaurant somewhere and you, what do you get when you first get to a restaurant? There you go, you get a menu, right? And you begin looking at the menu and you go down and some of you, you go to the restaurant because you're gonna get the thing and you know it's on the menu, you don't need a menu. Others, you take way too long looking at the menu and that's okay, but you go through the menu and you pick the thing you want the most. Not a one of you have ever said, what's the most disgusting thing on the menu? That's what I want. Unless for some reason you want to try it. But whatever it is you pick, it's always what you want. And if the steak and lobster is too much for you, you might pick something you want less, but that's because you want to save money. So you're picking according to your nature all the time. And God chooses according to his nature, but his nature is perfect, perfect. I'm gonna explain a little bit about how sin works. Uh, the, the theory that I laid out for you guys has a flaw, and one of the flaws is that the minute you say, if there's evil in the world, there can't be a God, you are immediately invoking a standard. 
you're, you're saying there is a standard somewhere, but if there's no God, how in the world could there be a standard? God is saying, I am the standard. There's a, uh, there's a ruler somewhere that is exactly 36 inches long. It's scientifically chosen. Every other ruler in the world is compared against this. Now, if you go to Home Depot, you, you take your ruler that you buy there and you compare it against the ruler, it might be off a little bit. You go to Harbor Freight, it's gonna be off a lot more, but you're gonna find some variations in the rulers in the world compared to the ultimate standard of 36 inch ruler. This is how evil works. And unfortunately, I'm not calling us all the worst kinds of people in the world, but we all participate in evil and you're gonna see why. If this is the perfect standard right here, then when I do that thing, I am good. I'm doing good. So I help somebody out. I hit the standard. I, I offered somebody something, I helped them out. And all of a sudden, hey, I'm a pretty good guy. Oops, I just dropped down. <laughs> I begin thinking higher of myself that maybe I should. Or I owe somebody the truth. I, I didn't tell them the truth. I dropped off that standard. Um, I was a little lazy at work. I exchanged my time at work for money, and so I gave them six hours of work, they paid me for eight hours. I drop off the standard. I rob somebody, I'm dropping farther. I murder somebody, I murder millions of people. Evil is just a variation off of a perfect standard. God is the ultimate standard. Evil can't exist unless there's a God, and so, it gets a little confusing. The other thing that this, uh, this proof has a problem with is the fact that there's an assumption that nothing good can come from evil. And we all know that's not true. I'm not saying evil is good. I'm just saying good sometimes happens because of evil. Now we were talking about 9-11 recently. And we know that was a tragic, horrific event where uh, several men chose to, to kill thousands of people, and they did successfully. But in New York, I happened to be there. It was across the, the river. I saw the thing happen. Uh, there was hundreds of first responders that ran into the building without concern for their safety, and many of them died because of it. And there's a little town in... Newfoundland in Canada called Gander. I don't know if you heard about this. Tiny town, smaller than 10,000 people. They have a small runway, but all these planes had to land. And they had uh, 100-something planes land. They had 7,000 people land in this little town. And everybody in this town went into action. They found places for them to stay. They fed them. They brought them to their homes and their schools and, and spread them out within the community and would not take a dime. That was good. It was a good action to people in a very difficult time. Good sometimes comes out of evil. So just because there's evil in the world doesn't mean God is bad for some reason. The other problem is that if you think about it, good can't happen unless you have a choice. The only way good can happen is if there's a choice. So. I can choose to do something or I can choose to not do something. This is the free will thing, and it's very complicated, but essentially, 
I can do whatever I want. When I got married 13 years ago, Teresa and I set out in the beautiful nature and we shared our, our uh, vows with 150 of our family and friends. And, and one of my vows to her was, I will be faithful to you. I took that vow. And every day since, I have chosen, even though there's millions of women out there, millions, I have chosen to stay faithful. Right? I made a choice to limit my choices to her and her alone. And so, now if I choose someday to, to not honor that, that's not good. But making a choice to honor my vow is good. Do you see how that works? A choice has to be given in order for good to take place. So if you give someone a choice to do good, then there's the possibility that they won't do good. Is that making sense to you all? Okay. So, 1 John 5 describes God in this way. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. I think it's another great way of looking at good versus evil. Light is a thing, darkness is the absence of a thing, right? Uh, you can go to the store and you can buy a flashlight. You turn the flashlight on, psh, light comes out. You can't buy a flash dark, <laughs> right? You can't turn something on and darkness comes out. <laughs> darkness is the absence of a thing. It's just like the standard I'm talking about and deviation. Light is a thing, darkness is the absent. Light is truth, darkness is lies. Light is generosity, darkness is greed. Light is kindness, darkness is apathy, it's a lack of kindness. God is good all the time, continuously throughout eternity. And we're gonna see how powerful this is in a moment. The existence of evil is not an impassable barrier. In fact, the more we think about it, the more you realize the necessity that there has to be a God. Which brings us to the second point. We're, we're gonna get practical now. The existence of evil is a reminder. When, I, when it faces me, it's a reminder for me to seek the good God. If God is good, like I've said, then I need to seek him when I face it because he's the one that understands it better than anyone else. At some level, evil is out of our ability to comprehend and to deal with on our own. And because we participate in it, we need his help. You know, Dave, King David had his fair share of evil encounters. You probably know his story, but if you don't, he was a boy when he was chosen to be king. He was one of seven brothers, and God was done with Saul, who was the king at the time, and he came to find David. He went to David's home, and this is what happened. Samuel comes to the home, excuse me, Samuel comes to find the, the new king where God has sent him, and so he asks the father, Jesse, hey, can you bring your sons out? Jesse brings six of his sons out. So Samuel meets with all six sons, and he goes, no, nope, none of them. Do you have any other sons? Oh, yeah, we got one, but it can't be him. <laughs> He's out with the sheep right now. Well, bring him in. You know, maybe, so David comes in, sure enough, that's the one. Now, 
I don't know if you read anything into that, but if it were me, I might be a little insecure in that family. <laughs> Maybe, just a little insecure. I think David probably had some insecurities from that. Being maligned, just kind of out of sight, out of mind. Well, now he's king. But for 15 years, he doesn't get to take the throne because the guy who's on the throne will not let him. In fact, he's hunting him and trying to kill him. Finally, when he get, does get to the throne, things go good for a short period of time and then he has his own fall. He, he finds a woman, he ends up sleeping with her and to try and cover up the fact that she got pregnant, she, he has the husband killed. Uh, he's broken over and he goes to God and asks God to forgive him. And then he has a problem with his son, his son Absalom. His son doesn't agree with the decision he made. So his son passively, aggressively for years plots and plans a coup and ends up taking over the kingdom, kicking his dad out and taking the army and sending the army after David to try and kill him. That's where we find David right now. Imagine having your family after you to try and kill you. Maybe some of you have experienced that, so you can identify with David. But let's read Psalm 3, 1 through 4. Oh Lord, I have so many enemies. So many are against me. So many are saying God will never rescue him. People are writing him off. But you, oh Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory, the one who holds my head high. David knew I have got to go to God. This doesn't make sense. I don't know what's going on here. Uh, I have enemies everywhere, and I'm supposed to be king, but I can come to you. You're the one that knows how to unravel this mess that I'm in. David kind of had this sense his entire life. Uh, God referred to David as a man after his own heart. So David was one of these people that I think from God's perspective, often had the right perspective and did the right things. Not always, obviously, but he had the right heart. And one of the most famous Psalms there are is Psalm 23. And you guys have probably heard it, but I love Psalm 23. It's a really interesting Psalm if you ever analyze it. It starts off one way and right in the middle it takes a shift. So it starts off th this way. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Ah, it feels good, doesn't it? It's all good. No evil. Everything's good. But then it takes a turn. But before it does, he's talking about God as a he. He does this. He does this. He does this. But then look right in the middle of the psalm. It switches. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David knew that in the midst of evil, God is present and able to help. God is right there. When the difficulty comes, rather than yelling at the darkness, allow God to bring his light into our circumstances. That's the first place we should go when we're struggling. With the help of God, we can actually even overcome evil, which is our final point this morning. The existence of evil presents me an opportunity to overcome it. 
The existence of evil gives me an opportunity to overcome it. You can be an overcomer. Uh, there's two ways to address evil, and I think we've all done way A, right? There's way A and way B. Way A is uh, someone yells at us, we yell back. Someone cups us off on the freeway, we wave at them with one finger. So we've all done mean things to people in response to things that they've done to us. But that is not God's way of responding to evil. He overcomes it with good. This is what it says in 1 Peter 3, 9. Do not repay evil for evil. You're just adding to the problem when you do that. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. What is powerful about repaying evil with good is the good that you pay back actually has the potential to change the situation. It has the potential to change someone else's direction, someone else's evil into good. It's a powerful thing. Evil cannot drive out evil. This is what Martin Luther King said. Hate can't drive out hate. Only love can do that. And this is true. We have a, a, a close friend who we love that we met when we were in San Diego. And uh, three, about three years ago, she's a single mom. She has four children. Three years ago, she lost her daughter. Her daughter passed away. And it took her down. Like it, it put her into a depression for a long time. And then earlier this year, someone who did not have a license, who was not supposed to be driving, was on the road, and they were making a right turn. They quickly swerved back into a lane and hit her son and killed him. Two children in three years. I will never forget her voice on the phone when she called us to tell us. We could hardly understand her through her weeping. Her grief was so deep. There's nothing you can do to say, to, to, to help somebody in that moment. There's nothing that's gonna make them feel better. It's a loss that doesn't make sense. And so she's been walking through that, walking through the court cases, walking through all that that's been going on. And it's the part of the, the court systems uh, maybe it's the sentencing part, but there's a part of that where the victim gets to say something to the person who killed their family member. And uh, this woman was charged with manslaughter. And our, our friend was visiting us a month and a half, two months ago, and, and she said, I've written something that I want to say at the court to this woman who killed my son. I just want to read it to you guys. You know, just let me know what you think. So she said, 
Losing my son was one of the worst things to ever happen to me. And it's wounded me deeply. I don't know how I will get over it. But I want you to know that I forgive you. I have a God that loves me and forgave me. And I want you to know you have that same opportunity to have that God forgive you. Friends, that is supernatural. Repaying evil with good is not easy. It costs us. But it's transformational. It's the only thing that will help get rid of the evil in this world. Jesus had a perspective on evil that he let us see. He often said things like, I'm going to be taken into custody. I'm going to be tried. I'm going to be killed. But if you kind of peel back the onion a little bit, look what was going on inside his head. This was his true perspective on good versus evil. We find it in John chapter 17. He was, excuse me, John 10. He was speaking to a crowd of disciples, a crowd of people that were just interested in what was going on, a crowd of enemies. And this is what he said. The Father loves me because I sacrifice my life. I'm doing good. So I might take it back again. No one can take my life from me. Wait a minute. I thought the Romans took his life. I thought the Jews that hated him took his life. Well, that wasn't his perspective. No one can take my life from me. There was another place where he said, I could have called down 10,000 angels. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to, and I also have the authority to take it up again. In other words, I'm going to lay my life down as a sacrifice, but I'm going to show you I know what I'm talking about by rising again from the dead. There's nobody that can say that what I am doing is not true, is not true love, is not a true sacrifice. For this is what my Father has commanded. What God commanded him to do was good, but Jesus had a choice. He had a choice. In the garden, he went and he prayed to his Father, this cup can pass from me, let it pass, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And that choice, which was good, was transformational like no other choice in history. It was the greatest act of evil in history and the greatest act of good in history all happening at the same time. The world that he came into, that he loved, the world that he created for good, turned on him and murdered him on the cross, but what he did is responded in love and in grace so that we wouldn't have to keep living under this standard. We wouldn't have to keep living in a world of evil and pain and suffering. It was him overcoming evil with good. And this is where we are all given a choice. And there's nothing more powerful than making a choice for good. 
we're all under this line somewhere. Some of us a little, some of us a lot, but we're all under the line. We've done things that have hurt other people. Have you ever thought about this? We're wrecked by evil. We're wrecked by what it does to us. God knows every single thing that's ever happened in all of history. He knows the ripple effects. Every sin has a ripple effect. Every lie you tell hurts you. It destroys trust. Everything you steal takes from somebody they can't get back. There's a ripple effect for sin, and he knows it all. And he put it all on his son, Jesus Christ, so that we could be freed, freed to live, but we have to make a choice for him. He doesn't force us. He says, come to me. It's a choice, you don't have to come. But he says, come to me if you're weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. And what he does is he begins to transform us from the inside. He begins to change our nature so that more and more and more we become like him. And we begin to choose the things the way he chooses them. But we're living in the in-between right now. He has a plan and ultimately this plan will end when evil is gone completely. We can trust him because we... He came in the form of a baby. He, he lived, he died on the cross to fulfill prophecy, but there's prophecy that says he's going to come again. He's going to set all things right. I want to read fast forward into the future. Revelation 21, 3 and 4 says this. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. We have a decision to make, a choice. And when we choose him, it gives us an opportunity to be a part of the good solution that overcomes evil. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it is so powerful what you did that has impacted millions and millions of lives and it's impacted mine. I am so grateful for Jesus' obedience and the choice he made to go to the cross, to sacrifice himself for me and for us, and to, to overcome my evil with good, and to help me live a life that becomes closer and closer to that standard, and that someday you have promised that you will get rid of it altogether. And I know there are some people in this room who Maybe have never made a choice, a decision to trust you, a God who loves them. And right now they're being impacted by evil and maybe their own selfishness and confusion about the world. And they can cry out to you in the midst of evil and they can say, God, help me. Help me with my own faults and my own flaws. I want you to lead me from now on. I want to be in your family. And if that's you and you've never made a choice, just right now in the quiet of this moment, you just say, Jesus, forgive me. I give my life to you. And I want to follow you the rest of my life. 
And for others of us, we've been impacted by evil. I just pray, if you're going through it right now and maybe it's disease or a loved one or whatever is going on in your life that you've been impacted, I just pray right now you would sense God's presence. Just like David, in the valley of the shadow of death, you are there. You're there to comfort and lead and guide. And we are so grateful that we can trust you in that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.